Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Welcome back to The Grind, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, This will be episode three of 2017 and lucky number 13 so far uh for uh for the history of the grind and so uh glad you joined us again with me is chad grigsby what's up dave what's up chad in your nice black soccer hat there yeah man and uh always got the soccer swag on it's just you know you know gotta represent gotta represent man (laughs) listen you you like heavy metal i feel like for our less listeners like soccer is probably way more relatable than your death metal hair down to your rear end stuff so well i don't listen to a lot of death metal chad so i'm uh, sorry prog rock whatever you call it there you go nobody knows completely different genre completely different (laughs) of course it uh, is dave we may have to have an episode where i educate our listening uh, audience on the intricacies and uh, nuances of progressive rock yeah, versus if, all other types of music. If you want the four people that are listening to this podcast to no longer listen to it, then go ahead. My mom wouldn't even listen to that. <laughs> no, one. she wouldn't. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so there's our our one guaranteed listener that would no longer join us after after uh, that one. That's right. That's she, right. She she raised me with that uh, uh, that music and tried to you know, knock it out of me and just, it it just wouldn't go, wouldn't go. So anyway, you know, that's all right. That's all right. And we also have Nick, our lovely production minister with us, uh, uh, the man of many words. Can, can they hear you, Nick? They can hear me. They can hear you? They can hear me. Oh, so, okay. So, so there, we got four words out of him that time. <laughs> so, uh, so, it's on the way up, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to get a full sentence out of Nick here before too long. Well, they got and, the full sentence on last week's episode. Well, that's right. You did, we did have a story time with Uncle Nick uh, last right. week since, uh, or last episode, since the story was about Uncle Neil. <laughs> And uh, so uh, a fine job you have done with that as well. Thank you. And uh, you have a voice and face made for podcasting. So, uh, <laughs> and we're not talking video podcasting here. So anyway, no, I digress. All right. Well, we uh, are privileged and honored to have uh, Greg Addison, our illustrious, it's one of my favorite words I've noticed. I say that about a lot of people. Every guest. Every guest. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know why I'm here. When you said it's episode 13. Yeah. Yeah. If it falls because of that, you can blame it on me. That's right. You're, that's you're, right. You're hedging your bets here. I we got are that. hedging our bets. Yeah. <laughs> so if if an episode is going to go wrong, this is the one we've kind of earmarked that it will probably go wrong it's with. Like, so now, hey, you can blame it all on me, and it all is good. <laughs> yeah, now right. now that you mention it, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, uh, well, Greg is our associate executive director here at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, and and has pastored in Arkansas. I was on staff at Bellevue in Memphis. So he's been around. Also uh, has a background in law. Yes. And uh, so uh, so we'll get to hear a little bit about that. And so he's live in studio with us. And so uh, we're just going to jump into the interview uh, today. And uh, once you guys to hear Greg's heart for church planning in Arkansas, I uh, want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, you know vision for church playing in Arkansas and beyond, and, and how to you know get more churches involved uh, in church playing because we. Uh, we just have our firm believers that every church should be involved in church planning in some way. Absolutely. And I, let me just say, I appreciate you guys and what you're doing. I'm one of the four people that listens to y'all, <laughs> and, uh, it, and it is a blessing. You guys have added a lot and brought the conversation home to us. Yeah. There's a lot of national conversation stuff, but you guys give a platform for us to talk about it here. All right. And, and, I, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. It's yeah. great vision for what you're doing. What, you know, what he didn't tell you as being one of those four listeners is that he kind of approves the content of this podcast to whether uh, it's appropriate or not. Yeah, there's a trick to that, though. You always got to make sure you listen afterwards so I can tell Dr. Tucker, well, I didn't know they said that until afterwards, and I can promise you they won't say it again. And that, that, that keeps me safe and works that's right, better. So. That's right. Plausible deniability is what we're going for there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Greg, it's always good to meet a fan. You know, it always is. <laughs> That's right. Oh, 
goodness. Yeah, so we're, we're already descending into madness here, and uh, I'm really surprised it took that long. And uh, uh, But uh, one of these days, we are, as we were talking earlier, we are going to have to record the the, the pre-podcast conversations and have the podcast <laughs> before the podcast because uh, that's where some of the funniest stuff happens. And uh, uh, by the time we start recording, generally the bloopers have worked themselves out for the most part. Yeah. And, and I'm uh, grateful for that, being you know, the one who lands on my head. So thank you for that's doing right, that. That's right. That's right. Keep that up. Yeah. That's a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. So let's just dive in here. And Greg, just talk about uh, kind of your ministry journey leading up to uh, including your stint here associate director, uh, ABSC. Um, great. Uh, uh, it's nothing earth shattering. It's uh, pretty simple and probably what should be typical for uh, kids raised in church. I have great mom and dad, loved Jesus, uh, moved to Memphis where I was born, uh, joined a church and uh, raised me and my brother and sister. I'm the oldest three in church. So I had great family, loved Jesus. Uh, and uh, taught us about the Lord, saved when I was nine and a half, you know, grew up in church. I uh, always wanted to be a lawyer. That was kind of my life plan. I'm not sure if mom dropped me on my head when I was a baby or something, but it just uh, just what I wanted to do. I don't have a lot of skills, but I can argue. <laughs> so it seemed to work. You know? Very well. Uh, it seemed to work. So uh, I did, and uh, I mar- married my college sweetheart, went to the University of Tennessee, uh, go Vols uh, Law yeah. School. and uh, You know, I just I – just, realize this we got two volunteers yeah man on this podcast and and then a longhorn sitting over here in the corner i'm the only razorbacker in this group i'm i'm this is not good it, it's okay we'll we'll work on you we'll share jesus with you it's yeah good. that's right you know the lord paints the sky orange every morning so we'll know and his red. mercies are new every day and, and it's an awesome right. thing so. yeah uh well i went there moved back to memphis uh rejoined our family church my wife and i teaching sunday school uh, deacon, serve on committee, just do what you do when you're a church member. And, uh, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I'd always want to be a lawyer, and over time, he just simply changed my desire to be a preacher. And so, uh, called in the ministry, uh, had not intended to go on my home church staff, because uh, I felt like I was called to preach, but um, just as God opened those doors, I, I went on my home church staff, served there six years. Started as minister to members and to men. Promise Keepers was hot then, mm-hmm. and we had a strong men's ministry. It was led by great laymen in the church, and it had gotten big enough that born enough fruit, they, administration was a struggle. And so I became an administrative support to them and uh, in, in doing men's ministry and uh, learned assimilation and all that, doing new member ministry. And after about two years of that, the singles pastor went in the counseling department and I felt like I was still training to be a pastor and apprenticing, and so I went to the pastor and the leaders and said, hey, I'd taught in the singles ministry. I'd love to be a singles pastor. I thought they'd give me a, a congregation to learn how to how to uh, pastor, and so I did that for four years, and then God called me to Arkansas. I pastored in Eastside Baptist Church in Paragool. Great folks, love Eastside. And, and then uh, after five years, went to uh, First Cabot. I was there almost eight uh, and uh, while I was serving as a president of the state convention, Dr. Uh, Emil Turner retired, and I, that put me on the search team, and we called Dr. Tucker, and so my second year was his first year. And uh, so I made him promise that he'd leave me alone for a few months. I'd done that two years. I was, you know, I needed to pastor my church, and he didn't wait that long. I said, <laughs> you need to wait six months, and he waited about two, and he called and said, hey, that's fun. Let's do that some more. <laughs> and uh, that, that's about kind of how I got here. So yeah. uh, it's great. We love being in Arkansas, paid tuition. Uh, I have a red wolf and a, and a hog, so I figure it makes us Arkansas people. Yeah. We're Arkansans and Arkansas Baptists, and so we love it. It's good. We really do enjoy being in Arkansas. And uh, Folks are great. Church is great. Fellowship we have is fun and exciting, and, and really I guess that's part of my journey, having served on some committees and just our church doing stuff with y'all and the way you do uh, as Arkansas Baptists. I got the value of that and understood the value of that and sort of drank the Kool-Aid, and so when I got a chance to help other churches be a part, uh, that kind of made sense to me. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, what kind of law did you practice in uh, in Memphis? Uh, I started out uh, at the uh, largest firm in Memphis at that time. And, uh, in fact, I worked in the building 
that they filmed the movie The Firm oh, in. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, so wow. there's a lot of jokes about that and stuff and worked in a firm. But I was there two years, did all kinds of general litigation that you'd do as a young lawyer, and then uh, moved into labor and employment law. So I did most of my career management uh, side labor and employment law. So uh, I moved into a boutique firm. After about two years, went to a boutique firm that only did that. And yeah. so I did that, and we were actually National Employment Council for most of our clients, and so we did... I did more cases around the country than I did in Memphis. Oh, so wow. I traveled wow. everywhere. I literally tried a case in Miami, Florida, and one in Seattle, Washington. Wow. So, wow. Uh, it was fun. I was living the dream, man. I was I was that hired gun dude yeah. showing up. It was fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and, uh, now, I, I've heard people say to you before, Greg used to be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. don't you correct them and say, no, I am a lawyer, <laughs> yeah. right? Or is that... Well, you have to be careful. Depends on the setting. If they're asking for legal advice, I have to be very clear. I am not a lawyer. I do not have a license, and I do not have malpractice insurance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than that, I'm proud of that heritage, and I enjoyed it. And, yeah. and really, I think I would have been a guy that would have struggled about, uh, well, I could do that. I know I could do that. And I'd have, I'd have carried that as a thing. I'm just, I'm wired wrong. And yeah. <laughs> and I think because the Lord loves his children, he gave me a chance to be a lawyer, so I would have that experience. And he, he trains us in all different ways. He trains you guys with yeah. unique experiences yeah. and training. And so he just, because he loves us, worked that into mine yeah. and uh, let me have a chance to do awesome. that before I went to ministry. So. so how much of that past experience have you used here at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention? Well, <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this story. My, my mom and dad, I mean, they love Jesus. They're Sunday school teachers. My dad's deacon. All that. They're great folks. I mean, it was they love Jesus and all. And so, you know, you get go through this journey. You think I'm called ministry. I thought my wife would be the one that I was terrified of and my parents would be supportive and it turned out to be the other way around. Yeah. She was all supportive and we go tell my parents, man, I prayed I'm going to the ministry. You know, I do this thing. Well, we prayed about it. This is how we prayed about it. God's confirming in his verse and all this deal. And I mean, my mom looks at me immediately and she says, son, you miss God. You need to go pray more. You, you do not have the personality to be a pastor. You, you don't like people. You're mean. You, you need to be a lawyer. You're right where God puts you. You need to go back and pray more. Well, as it turns out, that's been my number one skill set. <laughs> I pastor churches that had fired pastors and been through struggles and come here, and wow. it's like thinking, okay, well, shows you what moms know, right? That's right. That's right. That's wow. awesome. So he calls the he doesn't call the equipped. He that's equipped. exactly yeah. that's exactly right. That's right. Uh, but it was good, and and oh, I use yeah. a lot of those skills and do a lot of that. That the training in, in terms of. Um, how you read statutes and how you handle statutes and how you handle law and how you research and prepare is very similar to homiletics and hermeneutics and stuff. Huh. And so there's a lot of commonalities in that. And then just um, issue spotting and thinking in straight lines and analyzing. Well, that's what pastors do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, that's been very helpful. So it's really, you know, there are a lot of commonalities that work uh, for us. So. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, you know, I've heard you say multiple times in your transition and beyond to uh, working here at the ABSC is that, you know, one of the big reasons for coming here was church planting. And that was, you know, was a passion of yours. And uh, you saw a way to, to help enhance that with the ABSC and, and have been, you know, such a huge friend and partner to, to our team and, and church planners all across Arkansas. And so kind of unpack that a little bit and talk about, you know, what you saw, you know, why church planning is so important, you know, to you and, and ABSC uh, in general, the church in, in general. Yeah, I will. Um, I saw, a pastor guy asked me a couple of months ago, he said, man, did you, when you started out, did you want to be a denominational guy? And did you sell it? I'm like, dude, I didn't even know this was a job. Right. Okay. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a guy in a church. I, I didn't know any of this. I didn't understand any of this. I'm a layman out there teaching Sunday school, going on a mission trip, doing what you do. So, so my perspective, I come at this very differently. I, I come from a large church background, which was great training because we were very aggressive, sophisticated in our mission strategies and all that kind of stuff. So so really, I come at it from that kind of training deal, and I really didn't know much about convention life other than, yeah, cooperative program, that's something about how we send missionaries out there. <laughs> yeah. you know. And then when I became a pastor and moved to Arkansas and started getting involved, um, it was very much then a, oh, well, this is awesome, and oh, well, what are these strategies, and oh, this works. And then I... When I went to Eastside, I followed a terminated pastor and 
split the church had split, and then when I went to First Cabot, I followed two terminated pastors and a lot of struggles. And as I'm trying to do practical things and how do I get my church back on track, how do I get reconnected with evangelism and all that, um, man, church planting was a major part of that, mission and church planting. And as our church got involved and I saw the impact on our people of getting involved, uh, that's really how I came to this. And so when Dr. Tucker and I started coming on, talking about coming on staff, and I'm praying through, well, I don't have anything to bring to that. I'm just a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> and now I'm just a pastor, you know. Well, I don't have anything to bring to that. Well, what I did have to bring to it was the impact and the importance of, of church planning and of mission work on the local congregation, on the local church, how it equips the pastor. And at, the more we do that and the more we see that impact our churches, I thought, well, I, I got that. I own that. I, I see that impact, and that's why... As I came on in his reorganization and focus on church planning for us, man, I just fit in. I understood that because I saw how that impacted our church. Yeah. And now as I help pastors and we work with churches and they engage and we see that impact, not just from church plants, but on the church, as the people in church are lit up on evangelism, as they understand what mission work is, they understand the lostness in our state and, uh, and, and how to impact that, uh, and the impact on the church, man, I can help that. I own that. I can speak into that. I believe in that. And so uh, that's really why that, when I say church planning was a part of my coming here, it really was. Yeah. I, I see it. I get it. I understand it. I know how it works. I believe in it. And and I know it'll work in all of our churches. And I know it'll have that impact on all of our churches. And I can, uh, and I can speak to that. And as you guys grow in what you do and connect more church partners, more and more pastors come and say, look what this did in my church. Yeah. You know, look what they learned. Look how it is. And, yeah. and that's ultimately what we do. We serve churches by equipping them and connecting them into mission work. Yeah. And so this is, if not the plat best platform for churches to and pastors to engage their people, it is certainly one of the top two or three. Yeah. And uh, and I and I own that and see that and really believe in that. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's kind of how I got here and why I believe that. And uh, and it really is it, it is powerful, the impact on the people in the congregation and on the church when the pastor and the church get involved in yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you uh, you didn't just have a heart for church planting coming to the state. You obviously did at First Baptist uh, Cabot. And how, talk about how you led your church to be involved in church planting and then what are some of the things you did to get them involved in uh, working with church plants? Well in a nutshell uh, my journey is similar probably to a lot of guys. Um, when I was a staff guy, a, a layman and a staff guy at our church, we'd go on mission trips and we'd do these big invitation deals and we'd take 200 students and 400 students to get saved, you know all that kind of stuff and then you go well, what happens to them after you leave? Yeah. Uh -huh. And our strategy in mission work became very much engaged in church planting. And so you have to plant the churches and build the churches and do the mission work, connected to the church that supports the church and burst the church and all of that. And so I got a chance to lead some trips and be involved in that. And so early on, I was able to learn and understand the connection between evangelism and the church plant and the follow-up uh -huh. engagement of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys I talk to them come at it from, we learned it on the mission field, and then we come back here and go, well, it's the same thing here. Because right. you have a big block party or you do an Acts 1-8 day or you some big deal and all these people get saved, then what happens to them? you got to have a church there to do that. Yeah. And so right. my, my learning process started with the mission part of that. And then as I pastored churches and you, you run up against um, our facility, we've maxed out our facility, we don't have any more space, you talk to an architect and you go, that many zeros to build that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. you think, well, why in the world don't we have more churches? Too. Yeah. And, you know, so you begin to understand it's a more cost-effective way to get churches, to get churches where the lost people are in those regions and in that strategy. It's a fast way to expand your church. And then the multi-site thing came up, and that, start, and that all fit in with, yeah, create more platforms. Then as you learn, as you begin to study things, and you begin to realize we just flat out don't have enough churches. Yeah. There's just not mm -hmm. enough churches. Right. And I pastored in Paragool, which was a growing city. Jonesboro is a growing area. And if revival had broken out, 
we, we couldn't have, we couldn't have handled them. There weren't enough seats. Right. You couldn't have created enough services. Right. And so it doesn't take long when you look at it from a lawyer a lawyer's perspective and you're analyzing what the issues really are. You look at it in a pragmatic setting. You go, there just aren't enough churches. Right. So when you put together that whole mission strategy and the follow up, and you got to have that strength. And then you start figuring out how to expand and how to go where lost people are in Arkansas or in your community in Arkansas, your city, and you realize there aren't enough churches. It just doesn't take a rocket science to figure out we got to plant churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of conversations in 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 the the job that we do. Very few of them include the words "we got we need more churches." <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. in fact. A lot of the response, and I'm I'm being sarcastic because we we have God's been really good to us in our in our state, but uh, but a lot of the conversation is why do we need more churches? You know, like or we don't need more churches here. We don't need more of these kind of churches. So why do you think we need more church plants, especially in a state like Arkansas that is in the Bible Belt that has all these churches? I mean, what's what's your reasoning behind that? Well, you're right, Chad. I, that I, you get that question. I know you guys do. We talk about that, and and yeah. I've I've started getting that now. The more pastors become friends, and in my role, they've seen me support you guys. And as we've built the publication department and communication department, we can we really talk a lot about church plants. They ask that question: Why we need more church plants? Mm-hmm. Well, um, there are there are philosophical ways to explain it, and then there are just iconic illustrations that explain it. Uh, so let me start with it as an iconic illustration. Uh, we asked this question, what state is most like us? Roughly 2.96 million people in Arkansas. Ru- roughly 2.99 million people in Mississippi. Okay, so they'd be close in terms of economics and population culture. Okay, well, how many Baptist churches are there in Mississippi, there are 2,224 Arkansas or, or Mississippi churches. 2,224. You ask how many there are in Arkansas. Even with all of our church plants and our emphasis on that last three years, uh, this year we moved into 1,554. I think was the latest count. Yeah. So there are almost 700 more churches in a state that basically has the same number of people. And when you say that to people in Arkansas, pastors, they're just stunned. Yeah. I mean, it's a stun. I was stunned. We were when we yeah. started looking at it. It's a stunning statistic. Then you look at their mm-hmm. CP numbers, for example. Well, they got over $9 million more in CP giving than we do as a state in the same economics, the same number of people, similar heritage, similar culture, because they got almost 700 more churches. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it uh-huh. just, it, you know, when you start thinking about baptisms, and, and opportunities to create evangelistic uh, and discipleship opportunities where you're going to baptize people and disciple as new believers, you got to have more churches. How are you going to put more churches into mission work? you got to have more churches. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get more money into the mission field and, and through IMB, into the unreached people groups and all that? Well, if 700 churches produce millions more dollars, we ought to get 700 more churches. Yeah. Then you begin to look at the evangelism in our state and while they talk nationally about baptisms going down and all that, we've, we've held our own. We've done well here in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, um, there's not a city in the state of Arkansas, as I understand it, that reaches 20% of that city attending church on a Sunday morning. Yeah. More than 80% of every city in Arkansas, more than 80% is not church on Sunday morning. Right. Then you take the census deal. We did that deal with the census thing a couple years ago. You look at every county and the census data in every county in the state of Arkansas. And the census data is the person at the door that you knock on their door that says this about themselves. Every state in Arkansas, at a minimum, 40% of the people in every county say, I have no religious affiliation at all. Period. Period. I mean, they're not they're not Wiccans. They're not Mormons. They're not even Jedi Knights or anything else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're nothing. <laughs> yeah. If you start at forty uh, percent, yeah. where are you in reality? Yeah. Okay. You, there aren't enough churches to reach that volume of people. Right. So when you go from icon things like we're woefully under church compared to other states and the impact that has on baptisms and missions giving and all that, and then you look at the lostness in Arkansas, again, when you just I look at it with my, what are the issues, what are you dress on, kind of mm-hmm. mind. Boy, it just, it takes four minutes to figure out 
we have really got to plant a whole lot more churches. Yeah. And then you wow. add into it things like as culture has diversified, um, you know, that kind of deal, you, you, everybody's not going to go to First Baptist and Cabot where I attend. Right. They're going to go to Cowboy Church or an outdoor church or a contemporary church or a very, very traditional church right. or an African-American church, mm-hmm. or they're going to want to go to a multicultural church, or they're going to want to go to a church that's really focused on the gospel impacting social issues, or they're going to want to go to a traditional mission church where they're putting missionaries on the field and supporting them. And all that diversity mm-hmm. of things, you, that those are different-looking churches. And so... Again, it just doesn't take very long to start running the reasons why we are we, we need way more churches than we have. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Well, and I, I was talking to some friends that are up north that are planting churches, and and uh, you know there, you know the the landscape of churches is far less. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there seems to be a greater openness to the gospel. You know, up there among mm-hmm. among people, uh, there's not a cultural Christianity that you mm-hmm. kind of have to fight against like you do here in the South. And and while you drive around any community, there are there are church buildings. It seems on every corner. Yeah. That does not mean that those are evangelistic bodies that have their sole mission right. to reach people with the gospel. That, that's true. And that's true. and typically, Southern Baptist churches have been more passionate about that. And more aggressive in that than other denominations, and uh, and and that's way way more people than any Southern Baptist churches in existence right now could could handle. Oh yeah, uh, the the volume of lostness. I you know as I get to travel around the state, speak to congregations, and we are in pastor roundtables and all that. I just think people are just now beginning to get an inkling of the staggering amount of lostness in Arkansas and in the United States. Mm -hmm. And the only answer to get there is it's got to have more, we got to have more hands. We got to have more churches. We got to have more Mm -hmm. of that. There's no way to get there. If you look at Arkansas and you figure those numbers like uh, more than 80% not in church and, and you start 40% in the hole before you can start evaluating where they are spiritually. Then when you get outside of that, you go to a place like Boston. We, mm-hmm. we had a, a church plan in Boston. International missionaries uh, categorize people groups strategy-wise, as you guys know. Uh, they'll refer as an unreached people group, a people group where you have less than 2% um, uh, who are evangelical. Mm-hmm. Not even Southern Baptist, just evangelical, right? The city of Boston, the Boston Metroplex, is right under 2% evangelical. Yeah. So the part of America, when everybody talks about spiritual heritage in America, the part of America that really was founded by people seeking religious you know, yeah. freedom and all that, that is now an unreached people group <laughs> yeah. wow. in the United States. Yeah. And, there, and there are many other cities uh-huh. like that. And so when you start looking at lostness, church planting is about evangelism. It's about people being rescued from hell yeah. and meeting Jesus as their Savior. And when you look at the lostness in America, there is no, we do not have enough avenues for the gospel to get there. Yeah. We yeah. just don't have enough to get there. Um, and so we just need more churches. And so I, that to me is a very good question, Chad, when they ask us that, because man, when you get through with this little answer right here, yeah, they're sold. Yeah. They get it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. Well, and, and, and what you said, I think it's very, very important distinction when you think about church planting because I think a lot of people ask that question about why we need more churches because so much of church planting in so many areas has been giving church people another <laughs> option. But what what you have said is we need to plant more churches to do evangelism, to reach people right. who don't know Jesus. And that's, I think when you bring that emphasis to it, it changes the conversation, you know, because you're not talking about trying to get members from church across town. You're trying to reach a group of the population that has no connection to Jesus at all. If the, and if that's really the emphasis of church planting, I think that that's part of that case you just made. Yeah, so, and I think what one reason that we've been successful here and we're real plowing a lot of ground is you guys, as Catalyst, bring that understanding to it. Our Arkansas Baptist pastors and partner churches that were first in came in as the first ones because of their passion for lostness mm-hmm. and reaching people with the gospel. Uh-huh. And so we were the beneficiaries of having that DNA from the beginning. Yeah. And so since it has that effect for us, we're seeing 
that our churches are successful, they are baptizing people, they are reaching people. And, and I think that helps us a great deal. And then the other thing, if you'll come back what I said about my growth into this and even coming into this role, serving Arkansas Baptist churches, I can go to a pastor and say, listen, you need your people to be more evangelistic. Yeah. The fastest way to do that is you get them rub shoulders with a church planner who's got a passion for Jesus, and they go serve them and get involved, and people are getting saved, and their struggles are about not what color the carpet is or some other kind of deal, but their struggles are this person that needs Jesus, and they got this crazy, wild, lost kind of thing, you know. Or they're running out of space because people are getting baptized, and they rub shoulders with that. You can tell that pastor, look, your church needs to be involved because the DNA is evangelism, yeah. and that rubs back off on your people, and the partner church becomes more evangelistic, or people in it yeah. do, and that DNA of evangelism impacts everybody. So Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was Gabe Lyons or Dave Kinnaman, George Barner, one of those guys is doing some research on, you know, the particularly young adults, millennials, and, and just people that are... Uh, who who may have once claimed something that are now unclaimed, according to census data. So the most recent statistic from 2000 to 2010 across the United States, uh, I believe it was a 12% increase in the number of people that put unclaimed. So that lost population is is growing more and more. And, and you know, Ed Stetzer says that what we're seeing is the decline of a cultural Christianity, and we're finally starting to get more honest numbers mm-hmm. uh, of who really are believers and who, who aren't. And, and so that, you know, getting our folks to rub shoulders with the churches, the church plants that are actively, you know, on the front lines wading into that issue uh, cannot help but but have a huge impact. That is real. I think that's really true. As a pastor, just looking at it from trying to move your congregation, trying to va- evaluate who ties and who doesn't, and who serves and who doesn't, and how you want, you really get that whole the cultural group of that is bailing out. Yeah. And um, and and but you know we're still called to reach people. And we're still called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, in our churches. And so you know again, I came at it like a lot of guys from missions first and then into church planting. And so you learn very early on, it doesn't take one or two mission trips and you figure out the fastest way to get a soul winner is take them on a mission trip. Yeah. And as a pastor, uh, boy, I, the greatest moment in every mission trip, yeah, you want people to be saved, but it's not just the people in that little town in Nicaragua you want to get saved, you want to impact lostness. So right. the greatest moment for you as a pastor, if you're calling as a pastor, that's different if you're calling as a missionary. If you're calling as a pastor, it's Wednesday night when that person goes, Pastor Greg, come here, come here. What? Pastor Greg, I've been praying about this, and there's nothing that we're doing on this trip that we can't do back in cabin. <laughs> and you go, yes. that's right. Yes. Okay, now when you put church planning in it, Man, we're taking groups to Kansas with a partnership that the ABSC had put in, and we're taking people up to Montana, and we're taking people to Boston, we're taking people to New York City, and I can get five times as many people on mission trips that they can afford and don't have language barriers and don't have to eat weird food, they don't have to get Montezuma's revenge, and they can go on that deal, and then they can call me aside on Wednesday and go, Pastor Greg, we can do this in Cabot, and you're like, yeah, here we go. Now i got that many more people evangelistic who are going on, and and so it's a powerful thing. Well, and you said something there that I want everybody to hear, and this is something we continually try and get across. Church planting was a part of your mission strategy and really kind of birthed out of your mission strategy. It wasn't something that was mm-hmm. something over here uh, on the no, fringe, exactly right. separate from exactly right. your, your, your missiology, separate from your missional philosophy. It was an integral part of your mission strategy because you want to go where lost people are and find a way to reach lost people. Well, church plants are doing that you know, yeah, faster yeah, than, than yeah, most. Yeah. And so... Uh, yeah, we really spun all of our mission stuff. We wouldn't make the partnership if it wasn't the church plant. Yeah. And then the church plants mm. in uh, the United in Arkansas, church plants in the United States, and church plants in our international mission deal was all the same thing. And the learning was interchangeable. The understanding that the congregation had was interchangeable. Everybody knew what we were doing, and it really impacted the church, and they understood that. And so, um, man, I was all in. That is basically what we did. There was yeah. very little that we did outside of the anchor 
core of a church plant. Yeah. I heard Bill Hybel say one well, time, he was talking about he and uh, Bono from U2 had developed a relationship. And, you know, Bono was always championing, uh, you know, the ply of the poor and social justice issues. And, of course, Bill was a local church guy, and you send missionaries. And, and he said, he said one of the things that Bono helped me with is that he helped me understand that I need to care about the poor. Uh, that there that some justice issues are real and we need to wade in. He said, what I was able to help Bono with is that when all your social relief organizations pull out, the local church is still there. That's exactly right. And and he said to 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 be able to tie those justice issues, those relief issues, with the local church, mm-hmm. so that there's always somebody there to follow up on the work mm-hmm. that you've done. And and I've thought about that so often with church planning. We go in and do mission trips. We go in and we see people saved. If there's not a way to connect it with somebody who's going to remain boots on the ground in those situations, then then we're just leaving it to the wind as to whether yeah. it's going to be effective or and, not. And that's especially true when you talk about poverty issues and things like that. Yeah. Because the distant the distance that they have to go, the journey that they have to go to climb out of the patterns and the generational patterns of what poverty does and all that kind of stuff. Any pastor's done benevolence, yeah. understand. Yeah. I mean, that's why you build all those filters because you know that you can't just hand somebody money and they're going to do whatever. And so who's going to be there the long haul right. in those poverty issues yeah. and those kind of things? It's only going to be the church. That's right. And the amount of life coaching, and we call right. it discipleship. Out in the other world, you'd call it mentoring or life coaching. The life coaching required for them to pull out of that and change their family tree, it mandates... Uh, somebody being there committed to them in a way that only Christ and followers of Christ are committed. Right. Uh, and so to me, it, it really is, it is a foundation of how we do evangelism and all that in yeah. whatever setting that you're going into. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I told you I drank the Kool-Aid. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you also said that uh, you know when people get on a mission trip or help with a church plant, they say, hey, we can do that here. Uh, what do you think are some other impacts that that getting involved with church plants, church planting, has had an impact on your church when you were pastoring? Um, well, that's a great question for me because I was wired to use it that way, and so to me, you had all kinds of layers that you taught layers that you taught your congregation as a part of the disciple journey of a pastor that church planting provided as an anchor and a conversation in that. Uh, the first thing it did was it taught lostness. When you start talking about sin cities out, you know, Boston and their unreached pe- people are stunned and they go, oh, we got to do something about that. And then when you start talking about Arkansas, you start talking about lostness. So you teach them lostness. Second thing you teach them is uh, that you got to send church planners out there. We got to have you guys as catalysts. That's why we give the cooperative program. That's why we give to Dixie Jackson. So you gave a framework to connect the dots. That's just not raising money. You're a part of mission work. And then the third thing is you get them on a mission trip, and they learn what missions looks like. Fourth thing that happens, the reason they turn into soul winners is they get a taste for sharing their testimony with a lost person. They get a love for people because when they go to that place, they're learning about the culture. They've made some investment. They go, oh, we love these people. Like we took people to New York. They would never, or Arkansas, they'd never been. They, all of a sudden, they come back with this passion for New York City. You're like, how did that work? <laughs> yeah. Or passion for Guatemala. How did that work? You yeah. know, Because they got there and they invested in that, and that drug them in, and then they lead somebody to Jesus. I don't have to motivate them anymore. So all of those layers you bring to bear as tools for the pastor to teach his congregation when you get involved in church planting. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it just, you can teach all those things. You could do, you know, whole discussions on how you do each of those, but but all of those layers you bring to bear. Yeah. You bring every layer of teaching that you need to bear in a very practical way when you engage your church in a church plant. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's really, uh, really good just to get a great perspective, not only from, you know, a guy who's been a local church pastor, but but now with your position at the ABSC, uh, super insightful. So thanks. Uh, I guess we're going to move into rapid fire now. Is that right? Well, what's up? Okay, here's, here's kind of the question we ask everybody to wrap up the interview. You know, if you could give one piece of advice 
to church planners, you know, or maybe <laughs> something that was given to you, you know, as a young minister or whatever that's really been helpful. But what's, what would be one one thing? I probably know where you're going with this. <laughs> well, the, the, the most helpful piece of, of, uh, of advice I ever got, my dad said, okay, son, just notice when you go in ministry, you start messing with people's money and kids, they get mad, they get uptight. <laughs> so that's the first thing. Yeah. You know, church planners, you need to understand that. Yeah. The second thing I tell church planners is, um, so often what happens is in their exuberance, they get all jacked up and excited. we got to reach these people, and there's not a church reaching these people. And, and, and then they just slide into their critique of existing churches. Yeah. They're all uptight, and they have sacred cows, <laughs> and their music is boring, and they're all this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I understand your exuberance, yeah. but the funds and the mission work coming from the church are coming from those pastors that you're talking about. And you're talking about the lost person. I understand where exuberance comes from, but you got to understand where that pastor like me sits. And the other thing is you're poking in the eye the guy that wants to be your partner. That's right. Because the guy that understands what I just said about all those layers of teaching his conversation, he wants to work with you, but he can't have you come tell his church (laughs) that their music stinks and he doesn't know how to preach and all this kind of stuff. They're not doing their job. You, you, You know, you just can't do that. And he wants to work with you. And so what I would say to those guys is just, man, rein in that exuberance and learn how to refine that. Make the focus of your pitch on the lost person, not on the church. That's right, yeah. Recognize that that church, that pastor believes the same thing. He may believe the same thing about his church that you do, and he can tell you 10 stories about why it's true. Yeah, yeah. But that's why he wants to partner with you because he wants his people to rub shoulders with you and that to be a positive thing and your passion for lost people impact his church. That's right. And bring them into the process. So just just I I know that's an inadvertent thing a lot of times but man they just got to learn not to do that. Yeah. They have got to learn not to do that and they'll get more partners and guys that will love them and be a blessing to work with them. Yeah. We we get that a lot and it really does. It does come out of a passion for having impact and significant impact on loss. I mean, that's where it comes from. It, they just don't always know how to communicate <laughs> exactly that, right. that passion. That's exactly and, right. And I, you know, I've, I've sat down with two or three guys here lately that have communicated less than grand, in less than a grand style. And when I told them that they, you know, really offended a couple of pastors, they were mortified. Yeah, I mean, it just yeah. didn't register yeah. how they were talking about what they were doing. So part of this is these guys are excited and they don't always know best how to talk about what God's called them to do and how they're going about doing it. And so that's part of our job to keep them out of the ditches on that. And, hey man, and, when I was 28, I stuck my foot in my oh mouth my so many times. I can't oh, imagine. I still so, do. I, I, I I really do. I've talked to a lot of those guys too. I know it comes from their exuberance, but yeah. boy, we got to learn that. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we need both. We need all of them. Yeah. Again, there are way too many lost people to That's reach. Right. We 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 got to pull together. Yeah. And I really do believe it that we are better together. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that just helps those guys. I think. Absolutely. All right. Now rapid fire. Now rapid fire. Okay, this is the part I was nervous about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, these are, I'm telling you, these are very serious questions. Yeah, I know. Uh, I yeah, hear enough uh, how serious they are, and I don't right. have cool answers and everything else. So I'm like, oh, I'm the boring old guy on here. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you answer Braveheart on the favorite movie, I'm going to start stabbing somebody. No, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. That's what we get every time. And here's my only question. Do I have to give my normal boring answers, or can I give like the cool ones that my kids help me come up with? <laughs> Hey, whatever makes you feel better. Yeah. I'll try to be honest. Okay. It just is what it is. Uh, what's, what's your top one or two books that have had the most impact on you? Uh, there would be a lot because I'm a voracious reader of all kinds of things. If I had to boil down, I would say two things. Uh, one would be uh, Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. Hmm. Uh, it's just an incredible devotion book. It's an incredible challenge to it's not my life, it's Jesus. When I got saved, I gave my life to him, and now it's his. It's not mine anymore. And uh, just incredible. Uh, it's very small, but it has a huge impact. And the other one I'd say as a pastor and as a leader would be good to great. Huh. Uh, the, the analysis in that of how you lead, how you spot things is incredible. Uh, it really layers well with the teaching of Scripture. It talks about servant leadership, and it doesn't use that term, but if you're a Christian, you understand well, that's just servant leadership. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it talks about believing in people, and I want to believe in people. And so it talks about, you know, that whole lingo we now have about the right people on the bus, but in the right seat. There are right. a lot of folks that are great folks, 
and they get cast to the side because the leader doesn't have enough love and care and concern for them and doesn't believe in the Jesus in them enough to recognize or give them enough thought, they're just in the wrong seat. They'd be awesome in the right seat. Yeah, yeah. And so there are just a lot of principles in that book that I think are strong for pastors. It would help them lead much better, and they really dovetail with a lot of things we believe as Christians. We talked a lot about that very thing with Andy Addis uh, in the last episode, and then in another episode coming up, the interview we did with Patrick Anati and Keith Strasberger, and both those guys experienced that in the wrong seat you know, on the bus. And, and Andy Addis talked about that with their campus pastors. He said, we want guys that, you know, want to shepherd people and, and love people and care for people. And he said, those aren't always the best communicators. Yeah. So, and, uh, and I learned as a singles pastor to have this, have this value for people. You know, people think you're single, you're, there's something wrong with you. Know, like, so, man, I, I love being a singles pastor. It's the greatest job ministry I ever had. And I learned to appreciate people for where they were in their journey. And they may be a little different or uh, just not there yet. It's okay. They're not, there's nothing wrong with them just because they're single and things like that. And you yeah. learn to appreciate people for who they are yeah. and what God's made them. And when you think about that, getting them in the right seat so they can flourish, that's a belief we should have as believers. Absolutely. Believe in people. Absolutely. So what would be your biggest strength in ministry and biggest weakness to overcome, challenge to overcome? Uh, like a lot of guys, my biggest strength would be uh, that I really believe in the church and I believe in people and I believe they can do anything. And then my biggest weakness is I believe we can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many of those uh, could apply to either one. Uh, yeah. you, you, you yeah. know, I tend to shoot high and shoot long because I believe in that. And then you, when you shoot high and shoot long, sometimes you don't always get there. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, the, I have to really watch on those. And Well, uh, besides watching the, the big orange, the uh, the volunteers from East Tennessee, God bless them. Uh, go go Vols. <laughs> what is another what's another hobby or pastime you have? Uh, well, I love sports of all kinds. I love I played when I was one of my knees and all would handle it, and now I'd like to just watch. Uh, and I've started fishing again. I bass fished with my dad a lot when I was young, and I, now I'm an empty nester, and I started doing it again. Bass fishing from a kayak. Tim Wicker has turned me on to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. It's I like to go out and work my kayak and jerk some lips. Man, uh, it's fun. <laughs> work my kayak and jerk some lips. If there was ever uh, a truer Arkansas <laughs> statement or Tennessee yeah. statement, I don't know of I one. I told you guys, I'm an Arkansas That's now, right. man. Yeah. Hey, I'm that proud. would be a great name for a uh, for a fishing store. Lip <laughs> it would. Or something yeah, like that. yeah, exactly yeah. Right. All right, favorite movie. Uh, uh, a lot of movies. I love movies, but my all-time favorite would definitely be the original Magnificent Seven. Oh, hey. they did a good job on the new one, they but did. the original one is the best. It, yeah. is the, it is incredible. Great cast, great lines. If God would not want them sheared, He would not have made them sheared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that is a great. That's line why my mom told me I was not cut out for ministry. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the line you gravitate to. The fact that I that love that line, that yeah. tells you everything you need to know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about your favorite band or musician? Um, if I'm uh, running to course, uh, I have fine-tuned my Pandora station to 70s classic rock. It's a good day when you hear uh, Sticks, Aerosmith, Chicago, Stevie Ray Vaughan, all in a row, ZZ Top all in a row. Yeah. That's a good day. When I break form and I go to my guilty pleasure, it would be Big Bad Voodoo Daddies. <laughs> big Bad Voodoo Daddy. A, a little ska, big band kind of sound there, swing. Loving some Big swing, Bad Voodoo rock Daddies. Rock swing. Yeah. That's wow. <laughs> okay, I think it's safe to say we haven't gotten that answer uh, nope. on the podcast. <laughs> that, was, that was authentic there. Yeah. I told you I, wasn't, I didn't have cool answers. That's just what it is. For yeah. better or for worse. For those of us who are big, bad Voodoo Daddy fans, it was awesome. <laughs> and the rest right. of you are going, I knew I shouldn't have listened to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Four yeah. of you come back next one, it'll be better, I promise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we get a greater diversity on the, the music than we do the movies. Yeah, That's the movies. Right, yeah. I mean, Braveheart shows up over and over and over. Uh, yeah, they need I'm to shift. Sure. They need to come to the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. That's Nobody true. hums the Braveheart song. That's right. That's but right. everybody knows the theme to Magnificent Seven. Yeah. We're all good yeah. now. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, on the, we'll end on the big bad voodoo daddy note there. And, that's a great way uh, to end it. <laughs> that's right. 
you heard it live here uh, from our associate executive director. So, uh, well, Greg, thanks, man, so much uh, for coming and hanging out with us. And uh, thank you guys and for what you do and all y'all that listen to this. When it's not me, thank y'all for doing that, being a part <laughs> of the conversation of church planning. Yeah, great stuff. All right, adios. Great interview with Greg, as we knew it would be. Uh, I tell you, he's a fireball, and uh, I'm a pretty passionate guy, and uh, uh, you know, get pretty fiery. I don't think I can hold a candle to Greg. <laughs> his passion and his fire, and uh, so always great to to hear from him and and what's going on. And uh, a couple of things, you know, uh, we'll just kind of do a little wrap up here. One thing in particular that I want to uh, reiterate and really drive home is something he said near the end as he's talking about getting his people involved, his journey toward church planting started with mission and really wanting to engage lost people and get his church involved in mission. So they would do mission trips and different things. And what began to happen was they would go on a mission trip and inevitably somebody would come back and say, we can do this back in Cabot, or we can do this back in Perigold. And, and one of the things that developed for them is that church planting became a part of their mission strategy, their overall mission strategy. It wasn't segmented out there on the fringe as something we just partnered with this church over there and really had no engagement, but it flowed out of their mission strategy. And and that's something I think is so crucial for everybody to see that, that our church planners are, are are working their tails off trying to engage lostness and to jump on with them and and plug into that is only going to enhance your church's mission efforts and and have huge impact and bring about great change for your people in your own church in your own communities and so to see that as a part of an overall mission strategy i think is absolutely critical and he really drove that home well well yeah and i mean you know if if you were partnering with a church plant if your church was partnering with a church plant in seattle that's part of your mission strategy. So why should it right. why should it be different in Walnut Ridge or you know? Yeah. I mean, what what? And I understand Seattle because of the lostness and stuff, but it's still missions. It's just Jerusalem Judea missions, you know. And right, so, right. Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, make it a part of your mission well, strategy, a part of what you're doing. Uh, and and tying all their mission work to church planning so that when they leave there is somebody carrying on the work. Yeah, it's huge. I mean that's a good missiology, you know, missiological principle and practice there. Yeah. You know, you don't go in somewhere and, and communicate the gospel and see people saved and then walk away with nobody there to follow up and be boots on the ground for them. So so to tie that in with church plants, you know, uh, wherever they do their mission trips, I think is that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Crucial. Yeah, I agree. One thing that stood out to me that he said, I mean, uh, he said, I mean, we could spend all day talking about what he said, because, you know, he just said, we need more churches. And I, you know, I I agree, obviously, what we do, we agree with that sentiment. But coming from kind of a guy who's not, not pastored a church plant, not planted a church, who doesn't, I mean, doesn't have anything to gain really by... I mean, he does, but I mean, he's just not like he's not a homer like we are. I guess. Is <laughs> right. that a bad way to say that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like we're yeah. church we're church planning homers, you know. That's right. Uh, but to come out and say, "Here's why we need them," and just to rattle off five or six reasons, uh, here's why we need more churches. Uh, it's super encouraging, you know, and yeah. and and to have somebody who kind of sees what we see and and who's not in the day-in, day-out boots on the ground in church planting, but to value it. It's super affirming, and I think he's right. And here's here's the connection I made to all that in something that he said. He didn't explicitly say this, but it got me thinking. So he said Boston now is Massachusetts, really, when you factor it all in, it's like less than 2% evangelical, which is considered an unreached people group. And that was literally the center of the Great Awakening. Right. The center of you know, I mean, probably the the spiritual capital of early America. Right, right. Uh, And so if that's the case, and now it's one of the most secular places, here's what struck me, all right? If we don't plant churches, if we don't see the need for more churches, if the South is the belt buckle of the Bible belt, are we not headed for the same path that they are? Like if, if the South is the quote unquote, and I'm not saying it is, but if it is the religious capital of our country 
And the former one has gone this way, yep. uh, down the road towards secularization and unreachedness. <laughs> unreachedness. <a> <laughs> yeah. You know, are we not headed the same direction if we don't aggressively plant churches? And so uh, that was a connection I made that th- this is why we got to be on the offensive. This is why we got to plant more churches. Yeah. Because we want to we want to stay ahead of that. And we've already lost ground. I mean, let's be honest. Every year in our country, anywhere, we're losing ground. In our yeah. state, we are. You know, I mean, so I don't know. I, I think you made a good case. Yeah, I think Alan Hirsch says all the time. I've heard him say this over and over and over. He when he when he's challenging churches and he tells churches in the U.S. if you want to see your future, uh, look at Europe. And he said the things that are happening in the U.S. right now uh, are have already taken place in Europe. And look at the state of the church in Europe. And uh, and we think it won't happen. We think it can't happen. But we're seeing it. it you know, if if. If from 2000 to 2010, the percentage of people claiming nothing on the census data goes up by 10, 12%, that's a huge jump uh, in 10 years. And if that trend continues, if we don't plant more churches and don't get more actively inv- engaged in disciple making, we're, yeah, we are headed that way. And outside all the political stuff attached to that, I don't, I don't want to think about this in political terms. You know, America is a Christian nation, all that, that kind of stuff. The church has got to be the church. And if the church is not the church in that climate, then we go the way of, of Europe. And I uh, don't want to see, yeah, I don't want to see that happen. So, man, great stuff there. And, uh, you know, and, and like you said, you know, everybody expects us to say these things, you know. Uh, but I, you know, when Greg was, you know, first talking about coming this way, and uh, you know, right after he got on board, one of the first things, first conversations we had, he said to me, he said, "Look, he said, what's going on in church planting is one of the big reasons I wanted to to come to the Arkansas Baptist State Convention," and uh, that was that was very encouraging, you know, to me, uh, you know, that he would you know, feel like we're doing a decent job, but that he saw uh, enough of a need that he wanted to be a part of that from a, you know, even deeper level. I thought, that man, that's great. That's well, great. and that's that's me too. I'm obviously not uh, in the role or position he is, and I'm involved in church planting. But, I mean, what, yeah. what God's used your team, you know, the team uh, and Tim and, and you and Willie and, and others – I mean, you guys have done, got Lord's used y'all to lay some great groundwork uh, and done some great things in church playing. So I think that is a compliment to, to our team and and testament to how God's used you guys. So Yeah, it's been been a crazy run, crazy run. Looking for great yeah. more great stuff in the future. All right, well, we're wrapped up uh, with Greg there. We're going to kick it over now to Story Time with Uncle Neil. It's Story Time. Today's story comes from New Faith Baptist Church in West Helena, Arkansas. Recently, the pastor, Isa Brodus, had a need for a van to pick up people in the area that had a desire to attend church, but just didn't have the transportation. After sharing his need in passing, it caught the ear and the heart of Wyman Richardson, pastor of Central Baptist Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, more than two hours away. Wyman, after sharing with his leaders, he ended up gifting Isa and the New Faith Baptist Church the van. Isa and the Delta community were so appreciative that they had more than 15 new people attend worship the very next Sunday. Now that is the power of partnership. We want to hear your story. Email us at thegrind at absc.org. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. What is this? I'm still sore I never read Moby Dick. I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. All right, for our bookshelf today, unbeknownst to either of us, Chad and I both had a similar idea <laughs> for uh, for our bookshelves. We hadn't even talked about this until we got down here to start uh, recording the podcast, and both of us have picked out uh, uh, commentary-like books for uh, for today. And so uh, my recommendation for uh, for this episode is the Brazos Theological Commentary on Matthew 
written by Stanley Hauerwas. Now, it'd be no surprise that I would recommend a Stanley Hauerwas book if you've listened to any of these podcasts, as he's one of my favorite writers and theologians. And uh, and I haven't read, uh, I've used two or three of the Brazos theological commentaries, uh, but I haven't read read them all the way through like I have Matthew. And this one is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Brazos commentary set kind of takes a different approach. It's not necessarily a verse-by-verse exegesis as much as it, as it is a theological refre- reflection paragraph-by-paragraph, paragraph, you know, or to use a technical term, pericope-by-pericope. Pericope. How about that? There's my good seminary term. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yes, Bless right. You. That's right. Yeah. And so, uh, but it's just fantastic. His, his discussion on the Great Commandment was incredible. Uh, there's so many stories throughout Matthew's gospel that he just just really gives some unique insight to. Uh, and, and always in the background, he's thinking, you know, local church. Hauerwas is such a, uh, has such a strong ecclesiology and, and view of the local church and its role in the yeah. world. And so that's constantly running in the background of his theological reflection. And so I just can't, uh, can't recommend that commentary enough. So Matthew in the Brazos Theological Commentary Series uh, published by, by Baker. Uh, great, great stuff. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't say it once without messing it up. Oh, you did good. You were very yeah. articulate. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got a couple, but I'll save, I'll save one for later and, uh, just do the message of the old Testament and the message of the new Testament by Mark Dever. Um, they're two separate volumes, but they're kind of the same thought. Uh, a while ago, he preached through, the whole Bible and did one message per book. So he did 66 messages uh, on on the whole Bible. And uh, so the reason why I think that's valuable is I, I was uh, preaching through the, the whole Bible in chronological order one year. And that those sermons kind of gave me that 30,000-foot view to help in getting an overview for, for the book that I was going to be tackling. Yeah. So if you're if you're looking for something, just an overview of every book of the Bible, uh, I highly recommend the message of the New Testament and the message of the Old Testament uh, by Mark Dever. So good stuff. Awesome. I did not even know that existed. I, I'm gonna have to pick that up just to. Yeah. You know, I think that'd be fascinating. You know, kind of see yeah, what I mean, he does with these. You know, f- fifty chapters in the book of Genesis in one message. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. But but I think what's valuable about that and is, uh, you know, sometimes people, people these days, they may not have read Genesis. Yeah. So can yeah. you tell them what it's about in one sermon and how helpful that would be to at least give them some knowledge about it? I think that's helpful. And yeah, I remember I did something similar when I was, when I was pastoring, I preached through Philippians and four messages. I just did one message yeah. per chapter. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying you should do that every time, but sometimes I think in this verse by verse, you know, we think expository has to be that I do one verse at a time, and it's like, hey, you can preach through a book quicker sometimes than other times. You know, yeah. you don't have to be in Romans for seventeen years. Look right. at you, John Piper. <laughs> you know, right. so right. <laughs> not that not that that's not that that's bad either. Yeah. But I think yeah. maybe a little bit of a mix of both and some balance is helpful for our folks. So yeah, well, <laughs> and, and we're just it's it's no secret that we're moving further and further away from being a literate culture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people just don't read. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I'm fascinated by the number of people that I'll, you know, encounter that have not read a book since high school. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it just I, I'm such a big reader. Uh, you know, as Greg <laughs> said, he's a voracious reader, and I am too. Uh, not just ministry stuff, but I just, I love to read, period. And uh, I, that's just fascinating to me. But so to, to be able to give a good snapshot uh, of what Genesis is about or what Exodus is about. So people have a basic understanding of what God is doing you know, in these in these books. Is I mean, That's huge. I think that would be a really cool sermon series. Hey, we're going to preach Genesis today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, he well, does preach like that. an hour and 15 minutes at a time, though. Well, so you know, I might yeah. have to do it in two or three sermons. But <laughs> Yeah, but, but not only that. I mean, even just just for you know, everyday Christians, this might be a good book to recommend to your congregation, you know, yeah. and say, hey, if you've ever wondered what a kind of an overview of the Bible would be, you know, you can read 
you know, almost one of those sermons a week, you get through the whole Bible in a year. So maybe it's a, you know, compliment to your Bible reading you yeah. know, or something. I don't know. A lot of uses for it. I found it helpful um, for what it is. So, yeah. Yeah, Good stuff. absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's uh, it for another episode of the grind, and uh, uh, we've got uh, you know some other you know surprise guests coming up that uh, you'll hear more about coming soon, and uh, uh, we've just finished the evangelism conference. I don't know of any huge events on the horizon coming up uh, for you church planners out there. If any of you are planning on going to Exponential. Uh, coming up in April, a uh, big church planning conference in Orlando, Florida. Uh, let us know. Uh, we'd love to have an Arkansas gathering while we're down there. Uh, our whole church planning team will be going. And so great, great conference. You'll hear a little bit of everything and things you didn't even know you needed to know about church planting at that conference. And uh, so uh, great, great lineup this year on the main stage, great lineup of breakouts. And so we'll have a, a strong contingency from Arkansas down there as well. So if you're going, let us know. And we'd love to hook up while we're down there and hang out, kind of hear what you're hearing and, and reflect with you a little bit about that. And so, uh, as always, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our website as well. Uh, you can also email us at thegrind at absc.org. And so thanks for listening and joining us for another episode. And we'll see you in another couple of weeks. Thanks, Chad. See ya. Keep grinding.